of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you, listens to me, and whoever rejects you, rejects me, and whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. I would speak to you in the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. from today's Old Testament reading. But Naaman's servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? Today's Old Testament reading from 2 Kings Uh, reminds me of the famous, often told from the pulpit story about the lone rock climber free soloing a perilous mountain. Up and up he went along the sheer cliff that rose before him until the worst thing that could possibly happen happened. A foothold that he thought was secure was in fact insecure. It gave way when he put his weight on it, and he began a rapid downward slide. Fortunately, at the last possible moment, he was able to grab onto a thin branch that was jutting out from the side of the mountain. It bent under his weight and seemed about to break. Holding on for his life, the climber looked down and saw what was at least a thousand-foot drop. He looked up and saw the peak of the mountain far above him and no handholds or ledges within his reach. And there, for the first time in his life, 
he prayed. You know the gist of his prayer. He looked up to the sky and said, Is there anyone up there? Oh God, if you are there, help me. And God answered, I'm here, my son. I will help you, but you must trust me completely. Do you trust me completely, my son? The man replied in desperation, Yes, Lord, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? I trust you completely. Good, my son, said the Lord. I love hearing today's psalm appointed from the revised common lectionary quoted back to me. Now, do exactly what I say to do. In order for me to save you, you must let go of the branch. The climber looked down and saw the great drop. He looked up and saw the bright sky. Then he said, is there perhaps anyone else up there? (laughs) Naaman the Syrian, whom we meet in today's reading from 2 Kings, was a bit like the mountain climber. He wanted his salvation all right, but he wanted it his way and not the way God prescribed. Naaman was a powerful man, the commander of the king of Aram's army, Aram being another name for Syria. The time was approximately 800 years before Jesus, a period when Israel and Syria were constantly at war, conducting frequent raids across each other's borders. No doubt, Naaman had led many a successful battle against Israel. But Naaman had a problem he couldn't solve on his own. He was a leper, and no one in Syria could cure him. It so happened that Naaman had a slave girl in his household, a young Israelite who had been captured on one of his raids. When the girl mentioned to Naaman's wife that she knew of a prophet in Israel, her home country, who could heal him, Naaman was soon crossing the border again into the land of his foe. But this time, instead of brandishing weapons, he brought expensive gifts from the king of Syria and a royal letter imploring the king of Israel to heal Naaman. When the king of Israel received the gifts and the letter, he panicked. He didn't know how to cure leprosy. What was he supposed to do? Surely it was some sort of a trick to goad him into another war. The king's distress must have been great because Elisha, the prophet, heard about it all the way up in Samaria, some 40 miles away. Elisha sent word that Naaman should come to him. Thus, Naaman and his considerable traveling party packed up the gifts and turned toward Samaria. So far, Naaman proved completely cooperative with the plan. He trusted everyone advising him and did everything that was asked of him. It was outside the house of Elisha, however, where Naaman's patience began to wear thin. Apparently, Naaman thought the least Elisha could do was come out and meet him personally and dazzle him with some impressive 
Hebrew hocus pocus. Instead, Elisha merely sent out a servant who instructed Naaman to bathe in the Jordan River. Naaman was miffed and felt doubly disrespected. First, Elijah wouldn't even show his face. Was Naaman unfit to see the prophet's face? Then Elisha directed this mighty warrior to bathe seven times in the muddy waters of the Jordan River. What was this? Probably a setup for a practical joke, or worse, a trap to extract revenge for all the raids Naaman had led. They would catch him literally with his pants down. It was a crazy idea, and Naaman wasn't going to fall for it. Naaman didn't even bother to ask, is there anyone else in there? Instead, he stomped off with his dignity intact, but his salvation a wreck. It was all too hard. No, said the servants of Naaman. The problem, they surmised, was not that it was too hard. Rather, it was all too easy. So they said to Naaman, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? As we heard, Naaman finally agreed to do what Elisha commanded him to do, and he was healed. What we didn't hear just beyond where today's reading stops is how Naaman returned to Elisha and declared, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. The tale of Naaman the Syrian is truly one of the great short stories in all of the Bible. Through an improbable series of events and people, a Gentile not only meets the one true God, but also learns to trust in God. 800 years later, when Jesus was preaching in his hometown synagogue at Nazareth, he reached for the story of Naaman to make a point about the universality of God's grace. God's grace, he implied, breaks out of the narrow confines we set for it and is active in the lives of all people and cultures. Thus, through all the twists and turns of life, we can trust that God is working his purpose out, not only for us, but even through us. God is good and God is working for our good. Trust in God. It's that easy. No, says the rock climber, I don't like the plan. Is anyone else up there? Perhaps I'll just try to hang on and figure it out for myself. Yes, it's all very easy to say we can trust that God is at work in the world, but it strains credibility when we look at the world to test the thesis. You can scan the news and pick your own poison. I was struck this week by the mysterious death of 
Tyler Skaggs, the 27-year-old pitching ace of the Los Angeles Angels. On Monday afternoon, when he didn't report for the game that evening, he was found dead in his hotel room. Apparently, he simply died in his sleep. By all accounts, he was a terrific person, newly married, with his whole life ahead of him, a trained athlete in perfect shape, and he simply died in his sleep. Trust that God is at work in the world for our healing and salvation? Sometimes it seems mighty hard to see. It was just such a hard message to trust in God that Jesus gave to 70 of his followers before sending, sending them off on a preaching mission. He warned them that they would face fierce opposition and disappointment. They were going out as lambs into the midst of wolves. What is more, he charged them not to rely on the typical tools of the traveler, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. They were to announce peace upon the households where they stayed and heal the sick who were there. It sounds great. Sign us up. But then perhaps a real live leper or sick person like Naaman the Syrian stands before us and we might react like the king of Israel who was in the story almost for comic relief. He tore his clothes and essentially declared, I'm not God. I don't know how to cure leprosy. I don't know how to cast out demons. What am I supposed to do? And so it is with us. We feel ill-equipped and overmatched in the mission to go forth into the world in witness to God's love. Sure, sign us up is what we say with our lips, but no thanks. It's too hard is what I suspect we believe in our hearts. I wonder if the servants of Naaman can help us. If you recall, they suggested to Naaman that salvation was hard for him precisely because it was so easy. All you have to do, Naaman, is take the bath. Your pride isn't going to cure your leprosy, so let go of it. Trust God and let go. That's the first of four general guidelines for mission, for participation in the kingdom of God that I hear in today's readings, for those who want to cooperate with God's work of salvation and not frustrate it, these four headings may be helpful. Naaman let go, and the kingdom of God came near. That's the first. In the same story, we see how easy it was for the young slave girl to participate in the kingdom of God. She knew of a prophet who could cure Naaman. So she spoke up, and the kingdom of God drew near. God worked through her for the salvation of another. Telling people about Jesus, speaking to anyone of our faith, makes us all very nervous indeed. But a popular phrase boils it down to this. 
Christian mission is simply one beggar sharing with another where to find bread. The young girl knew where to find bread, so she spoke up. Trust God and speak up is the second way we can participate in the kingdom of God. The third is simply this, fear not. Note well, fear not is religious speak for don't panic or calm down or even take a time out. Generally speaking, these latter three are not what you want to say to people in crisis or even to an angry spouse. You do not want to say, calm down, don't panic, take a time out. Don't say that. So fear not is the biblical pastoral choice. However you want to phrase it, someone needed to tell the king of Israel not to fear. Don't panic. Calm down. Take a time out and rally the resources of the community. No, he couldn't cure leprosy, but someone in Israel whom he must have known could. Enter Elijah. Trust God and fear not. Fourth and finally, step out. We can talk endlessly about God. We can speculate forever about the mission of the church and the proper way to engage a dangerous world. At some point, however, we have to step out and try to participate in the work of the kingdom as Jesus charged the 70 to do. We can expect failure and we can expect some success, but only if we trust God, step out and try. Go on your way, Jesus said to the 70. Let go, speak up, fear not, and step out. I don't mean to trivialize how hard it can be to trust that God is working his purpose out for us and through us. But sometimes I wonder if what makes it so hard to participate is precisely how easy it is to participate. Many of you know the old classic by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. It's a wonderful little book about a group of people who take a bus ride from hell to heaven. Once there, once in heaven, they are absolutely free to stay for all eternity. But here's the catch. They have to choose to stay. They have to want to stay, not on their terms, but on heaven's terms. Believe it or not, most of them say, no thanks, this is too hard, and choose to go back to hell. One man refuses to stay because he's greeted in heaven by someone he knew on earth to have committed a murder. He thinks it's unjust that this man has been forgiven. It's not what he deserved. At least in hell, you get what you deserve. So he goes back. An English bishop goes back to hell 
because he decides he'd rather continue the endless process of talking and speculation about God instead of actually meeting God. Entering the kingdom would mean giving up his theological quest, which he doesn't want to do. He's so wrapped up in the journey that he's totally lost sight of the destination, so he goes back. A woman won't stay because in the kingdom of, of God, she'll have to forgive her husband, whom she nagged to death. A humorless man won't stay because he learns that his wife, who preceded him in death, has been happy in heaven, happy without him. How hard it was for all of them to enter the kingdom of God. They didn't like the way the place was managed. None could trust and enter into joy. Is there anyone else here who can run this place? Is what they seem to be saying. If you read The Great Divorce, which I highly recommend you do, even if for a second time, you may find yourself wondering how these people could be so foolish as to choose hell over heaven. But then you may remember that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven draws near to us in this life, not just in the next. And in your better moments, you, rem you may remember with regret the times when the kingdom of God came near to you and the door opened and you did not step through it. Today's readings can help us to be awake and alert for the next time the kingdom of God draws near. What it will take to enter is as hard and as easy as trusting in God. Amen.